Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. Good to have all of you with us. We are in the book of First Kings, and uh, we are reading about the final battle of Ahab, the wicked king Ahab and Jezebel. This is where Ahab finally gets his, despite God being merciful to him, cutting him slack in a million ways. Again, if you feel God is frustrated with you, just look at this for a while and you'll see that God can tolerate you and he's not falling apart because you don't quite get it yet or struggling in your life. Be patient. God will deal with you. This guy's a mess. Finally, God cannot take it anymore and a judgment's coming on this guy. So we're in the 22nd chapter of First uh, Kings at verse 29. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, the two kings, went up to Ramoth-Gilead The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will enter the battle in disguise, but you wear your royal robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now the king of Aram had ordered his 32 chariot commanders, do not fight with anyone, small or great, except the king of Israel. So when the chariot commanders saw Jehoshaphat, they thought, well, this must be the king of Israel. So they turned to attack him. But when Jehoshaphat cried out, The chariot commander saw that he was not the king of Israel. He was the king of Judah. And they stopped pursuing him. But someone drew his bow at random. Just zapping off an arrow in the middle of nowhere. And hit the king of Israel, this rotten scumbag Ahab, right between the sections of his armor. Stop and think of this. He's got armor. It's got to be the perfect shot to get just between the sections of the armor, it's a random shot, zing, and right in the owie, okay, well, the king told his chariot driver, they didn't know it was the king, he was just as a regular guy, so this is obviously the judgment of God coming down on him, he says, wheel around and get me out of here, I've been wounded, well, all day long, the battle raged, and the king of was propped up in his chariot, facing the Arameans. The blood from his wound ran onto the floor of the chariot, and that evening he died. He just slowly bled to death. As the sun was setting, a cry spread throughout the army, every man to his own town, everyone to his land. Which is again, I'm I'm backing up here looking at the uh, prophecy that Micah had prophesied. And uh, he said, I saw Israel scattered as these people have no master. And they said, each one go to his home in peace. This is essentially, this is the fulfillment of the prophecy. When everybody said, hey, everybody just go home. So the king died and was brought to Samaria and they buried him there. And they washed the chariot at a pool in Samaria where the prostitutes bathed. And the dogs licked up his blood, as the word of the Lord had declared. Uh, As for the other events of Ahab's reign, including all he did, the palace he built, the inlaid, and inlaid with ivory, and the cities he fortified, uh, are they not written in the books, the book of the annals of of kings of Israel? And Ahab rested with his fathers, and Ahaziah, his son, succeeded him as king. (laughs) All right, so that's the king. End of Ahab. He bites the dust. Jezebel is still alive. We're not done with Jezebel. God had also prophesied that the dogs would lick up her blood or eat her or whatever the deal was. So we're going to see that coming yet. Uh, Then, uh, parenthetically, it uh, 
makes a little statement here as we come to the end of 1 Kings about Jehoshaphat. Now Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, uh, became king of Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 25 years. His mother's name was Azobah, daughter of Shili. In uh, everything, he walked in the ways of his father Asa. Asa was a good guy, one of the uh, few kings that would honor God, and uh, king of Judah. And uh, he did the same thing. He walked in his father's ways. He did not stray for them. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. In general, the kings of Judah were much more righteous than the kings of Israel. Israel was really bad. But even Judah was a mess, and they eventually all, God had to punish the whole lot of them. It was just a complete disaster. The high places, however, it says, these places where these guys would go to worship false idols were not removed. And the people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense there. Jehoshaphat was also at peace with the king of Israel. So during his reign, they got along. As for the other events of Jehoshaphat's reigns, the things he achieved and his military exploits, are they not written in the annals of the king of Judah? Well, let us stop and look at one of these annals of the kings of Judah. Because I don't want to just run off with Jehoshaphat. Kind of an interesting fellow. If you go over to Second Chronicles, flip over there. Second Chronicles, the 20th chapter. And by the way, you ought to be bringing your Bible with you to Bible study. Hence the term Bible study. So you can find that. Just don't go with the big video on the wall here. But uh, if you forget, we'll give you some static. I mean, we'll, we'll give you some slack. We won't give you static. <laughs> but if you, keep, if you keep doing it, I will give you static. All right? Get familiar with your Bible. Get familiar with your Bible. You can't do, you can't do it if you don't read it. So we're over at 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Now, 1st and 2nd Kings and 1st and 2nd Chronicles cover a lot of the same territory. The difference with Chronicles is it pretty much just focuses on Judah and the kings of Judah and stuff like that. And Jehoshaphat was a king of Judah. And what he's saying here, and they said this throughout the whole, old, you know, the whole record of kings here, and I think in 2nd Kings as well, they talk about a king, says, and if you want to know more, just read about him is what he says. This is kind of, this is all I want to talk about, but they did lots of other things. Just go and read about them, and you'll learn all about them in other recordings. And one of those is the book of Chronicles, first, second, first and second Chronicles. So second Chronicles, the 20th chapter, we read about Jehoshaphat. Again, this is right after, by the way, of this battle. Okay, Ahab dies, and we get much more detail about the kings of Judah here. So we're going to read more about Jehoshaphat, who again was a good guy by and large. He feared God. He wasn't perfect in that he didn't take care of some things he should have, but by and large, he, he followed God, and God blessed him. This is a, a very famous part of the Bible. That's why I want you a story in the Bible, and I want to read it with you so you're familiar with it, about King Jehoshaphat. All right, so chapter 20, verse 1. Now, after this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, with some of the Maonites, came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Now, some men came and told Jehoshaphat, Dude! A vast army is coming against you from Edom, on the other side of the sea. It's already in Hazazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. He's freaking out. You know, this is bad news. Big army coming at him. And he did the right thing. He went to seek from God, and he told everybody to fast. Get serious about your faith. Quit eating some meals. Let's just focus on God for a while. Um, and it, we need to talk more about that. As well, something we don't do, so I don't do as much as I should, Lord only knows, as you can well tell. But, uh, but it's something that is part of the Christian uh, exercise, fasting, not eating, just focusing on God. 
So he declares a fast. Everybody's got to quit eating. They're praying. And the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nation. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. O our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give them uh, give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and they built in it a sanctuary for your name. Saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword or judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. But now, here are men from Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming out to drive us out from the possession you gave. So he's basically... When these guys would pray, they'd, they'd go into history. God, this is, this is where we've come from. This is where we've been. And actually, there's, there's some great things in this. Oftentimes when you pray, it's probably not best just to freak out about what you're facing right now. Okay? Because freaking out just tends to give you fear, which nulls faith. You want to have faith, right? When you're praying and trusting God. So maybe coming just a guy and going, oh, God. Okay. it's probably not a good plan. <laughs> Oftentimes it's good to pray and when you pray and to reflect on and thank God for the times he has answered prayers for you in the past, for the times when he turned miracles around in your life, kind of reminding yourself more than God, but God nonetheless, Lord, remember when you did this. And Lord, I remember when you did this in my life. And God, this one time when it looked like things were going to be terrible, but yet you brought me through it. You are a faithful God. What are you doing? You're praising God in prayer. You're reminding God of the fact that he has worked for you in the past as if he'd forgotten he hadn't. But more importantly, you're talking to yourself. Hey, self, wake up. God has seen you through troubles before. It puts it in context. And let me encourage you, don't freak out every time that you're challenged with something in your life. And things often start small. As you're growing in your faith, let God do things in your life and see miracles because it will help you to build your faith for when you get against other things, bigger things. It's like, remember the story of David and Goliath. David goes out there and he's confident he can kill Goliath. Why? Had he ever killed a, a giant guy before? No. But he said, but once... A lion attacked the sheep. And God helped me to kill the lion. Once a bear attacked us. And God helped me kill the bear. The God who helped me with the bear and the lion. Will help me kill this big fat guy. Okay. Because he had something to reflect on. He didn't just all of a sudden show up. Boom. I'm going to take on Goliath. All right. And I've shared with you before. that this, I think the saddest thing I ever see. Are people who have been people of faith. Who have always protected themselves and always been so sure and never taken any risks and always made sure everything was just right. So they've never had to really experience God answering any of their prayers in any dramatic way. Their most dramatic prayer is God bless this chicken I'm about to eat. Okay. That's about the, that's the strength and the depth of their power. And then they get cancer. Then they lose their job of 25 years. 
Then their kids are in a horrible accident and they're on life support. I always feel the sorriest for those people who this is the first time they've ever had to believe God in their lives. Man, what an icky place to be. Why? There's no point of reference. They can't refer back to the lion and the bear in prayer that God had brought them through. Because they haven't been through anything. They've been so afraid. They've so protected themselves. They never took any risks. They never did anything and, and always surrounded themselves in just the right way. And, and they never ever took a step unless they knew for sure the step was there. And See, the problem with that approach to life, while it seems reasonable, is eventually there's going to be a step that's not there. How are you going to handle that, you know? Let God, even in the littlest things, trust God. It might be the fact that you just got a runny nose and you got a cold and just start there. Lord, heal me of this thing. Help me recover on this faster than I've ever recovered before. Start somewhere. See, a lot of people don't even think of those. They'll just think, oh, I'll be fine, I'll be fine, I'll be fine. Never really reach out and try to touch God in any other area of their life, even the most insignificant areas of their lives. The problem is at some point you hit a Goliath. At some point, armies are gathered against you and they're coming to kill you. And woe be to those of you who that will be the first time in your life you've ever really needed to see God answer a prayer. Woe to you. I mean, we'll be there with you. We'll cry with you. We'll hold hands with you. We'll support you the best you can. But, you know, wouldn't it be better... If along the way you've learned how to pray, you've learned how to expect God to do things in your life. Well, you've seen God answer this prayer and God do this thing and change that circumstance and do this thing. And so that when you come up against Goliath, it's how I can handle this because father, you, you helped me kill the bear. You helped me kill the lion. God, you brought us in. We chased out all the inhabitants of this land. Lord, you told us not to go kill these guys. Now they're trying to come kill us. Look what they're doing, God. Praying from a place of confidence. Verse 12. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. See, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. That's, that's no small statement. So many people, we're just, I don't know what to do. That's the the but our eyes are on you means nothing because they've they've never had their eyes on God through rough times. They've never really when he said but our guys are uh, look they're going to come kill us but ours on you we're in a good place we're in a good place when you know that God when you know that you know that you know God will see you through because He has seen you through. I'm telling you it it is powerful. Verse 13, all the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of whatever, a bunch of sons. Verse 15, he said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. <laughs> easy for you to say I mean, this was serious they this was such an overwhelming army they knew they wouldn't stand you know a lot of the other times they just rise for battle they went out he was just in the previous battle he didn't have any problem this one was so bad 
Despite what they, and, and, and there again is another analogy. They had fought many battles and seen God give them victory, you see. Again, baby steps, little bigger steps, little bigger steps. If you want to get to the point where you can press 200 pounds in a bench press, you don't start with 195 pounds. You might start with 25, work your way up. He'd been working his way up. They'd been trusting God, but they knew this was a big deal. When the whole nation stops eating and they all stand from the father all the way down to the little children are standing before God in front of the temple crying out to God. Not crying, freaking out, but with confidence. Our eyes are on you. Wow. So he says, don't worry about it, guys. The battle's not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. And then God starts prophesying, speaking to them through the prophets. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz. The Ziz Pass. And, uh, which is, this it, is, you know, inside information. God knew. You know, that was huge. When you knew where your enemy was going to be at any given time. It was powerful. And God let them know where they were going to be. And you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jural. You will not have to find this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, O Jude and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. That's interesting. God said you won't have to fight, but you go out and face them. See, I think, well, well God, if I don't have to fight, can't I just stay back and you know, watch Gilligan's Island reruns or something? You know, can I... <laughs> Can I just can I just lay back where it's safe? Oh God, what do you mean I got to go out there? We got to go face this army? If you're gonna kill him, kill him. Why, 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 why do we go out and go? Because you still got to face it. You're still gonna have to face the army. You're still gonna have to face Goliath. You're still gonna have to face whatever it is. Why? Because you cannot be dominated by fear. Fear will rob you of faith. It'll suck the spiritual life out of you. As long as you stay in a place of <laughs> look. I know you got to cry sometimes when you pray. I get that. And I'm merciful and I get it. There's, I always allow myself a good 24, 48 hours of absolute freak out time. I do. I just completely. <laughs> but I don't stay there. Why? We've got to pull it together. I've got to lose the fear. Or it, my enemy, whatever I'm facing, will consume me. We've got to get to a place of faith. And you've got to go out there and you stand in a battle that you don't want to be at. But you've got to go nonetheless. So God says, you go out there and face them. But don't worry about it, I'll take care of it. Well, Jehoshaphat bowed with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshipped before the Lord. Then some of the Levites from the Kohathites and whatever, a bunch of ites, they praised the Lord. All these ites. Early in the morning they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah and people of Israel. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. Then after consulting the people, so what are, we tell, what are they consulting about? Well, what are we going to do? We've got to go out there and face them. We're going to go face them. Okay, why? God says we don't have to fight. What are we going to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? See, sometimes God uses people. See, Remember the last week when we read about how God sits around the throne and says, what do you guys think we ought to do? God's into that. He wants to hear from you. That's why he knows the trouble that you're facing. And you know what he's doing? He's looking at you saying, what do you think we should do? What do you think we should do? How should we handle this? It's called prayer, you see. When you start understanding you have a hand in directing God in your life, it'll cause you to pray more. The reason why a lot of people don't feel the need to pray, they just think God is sovereign. Everything God's just going to do everything all by himself. Well, he can if he wants. But God's often looking from you, what do you think we should do? 
It's called free will. See, God doesn't want just a bunch of robots and zombies. Get last week's tape. So they all got together and said, what are you going to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? We have to, we have to go out there. He said to go out there. We're not going to fight. What are we going to do? So he said, okay, that's what we're going to do. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed the men, men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for his splendor and his holiness. As they went out at the head of the army, saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. So what they decide is, well, let's put the choir out there. <laughs> it's what they decide. Now, I don't know what the choir thought of this. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking... You're doing what? Dude, I joined the choir so I wouldn't have to be in the front. <laughs> I joined the choir to inspire the rest of y'all to go do it. La, 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 you'll be great. See you later. You know, that's, that's my version of the choir. But he sticks the choir in the front. Vulnerable, out there. Why? Because God said he didn't have to fight. Well, let's prove that we trust God. Let's see that we really trust God. He said, we have to fight. We don't have to fight. We've got to make, I'll put the choir out there. They're going to go out there and just going to start singing. Now, again, if you're sneaking up on the army, singing at the top of your lungs is not a good plan. <laughs> right? You know? You're... Moving through the rocks, trying to sneak up on the army. You hope guys aren't singing, Oh, say, can you see? You know. But they start singing, Give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. And as they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the men of Ammon and Mount and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. How did he do it? Well, the men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the men from Mount Seir. And they killed them. And then after they finished killing them, they looked at each other, and then they killed each other. There's some serious confusion going on here. He got three armies, two of them all of a sudden go, kill those guys. And they go, what are you doing? We're on your side. And they kill them all. And they got done. What do we do now? Let's kill each other. Verse 24, when the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. Isn't that wild? Was God true? Yep. Did they have to fight? Nope. But they had to go out there and face it. So Jehoshaphat and his men went off to carry off the plunder. And they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and articles of value, more than they could take away. They had so much stuff, they didn't know what to do with it. There was so much plunder, it took three days to c- collect it all. Pretty cool, huh? That's Jehoshaphat. Great story about Jehoshaphat. We had to read that. It's a Jehoshaphat story. He said, if you want to know about Jehoshaphat, read the rest. So we just read some. All right. Then, uh, then verse 48, back in First Kings. Last chapter, 20, chapter 22 of 1 Kings. Um, verse 46. He did rid the land of the rest of the male shrine prostitutes. That was a good thing. Who remained there even after the reign of his father Asa. Even dad didn't take care of that. At least he took care of that. Jehoshaphat basically was a, was a good guy. And then there was no king in Edom. A deputy ruled. I don't know what he's talking about. Who cares? Uh, now Jehoshaphat built, a, and then another story here. 
who cares, but let's read it. Now Jehoshaphat built a fleet of trading ships to go to Ophir for gold, but they never set sail. They were wrecked at Ezion Geber. At that time, Isaiah, son of Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, Well, let my men sail with your men. But Jehoshaphat refused. What? I don't know. It must have been significant to somebody, but... Then Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers. He dies. And was buried with them in the city of his father, David. And Jehoram, his son, became the next king of Judah. Final phrases here in uh, 1 Kings. Uh, Ahaziah, son of Ahab, then becomes king after was, or Ahab died and the blood was licked up by the dogs. Blah, 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 blah. Um, uh, da, 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 da. And he reigned over Israel two years. He did, ev- now, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, verse 52, because he walked in the ways of his father and mother, in the ways of Jerobo- Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who caused Israel to sin. He served and worshipped Baal, these false gods, false prophets, like Satan worship, and provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger, just as his father had done. Okay, so that is the end of First Kings. We have like five minutes. We'll keep going here just uh, into Second Kings chapter one. Basically, just picks up why it's in two different documents. I don't know, but it is. Now, after Ahab's death, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now, uh, Ahaziah had fallen through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and injured himself. <laughs> Ow! Ow! I don't know what happened, but ow! Apparently it was pretty bad. And uh, so he sent messengers saying, go and consult Baalzebub, the god of Ekron. See, Baalzebub is another name. Baal is another word for Satan. They were basically Satan worshippers. These guys were into really icky, icky caca. Okay? And uh, so he gets hurt. um, And... uh, he says, well, let's go check from the, with the devil and see if it's going to be okay. The God of Ekron, and see if I will recover from this injury. But the angel of the Lord said, Elijah, Elijah's back. That's why all this stuff has been slowing down here with all these kings. Because we're all talking about Elijah and then Elisha, the next prophet. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, hey, go up and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and ask them, is it because there's no God in Israel that you're going off to consult Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore, this is what the Lord says. You will not leave this bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. So Elijah went. God was ticked because they were going to Beelzebub instead of going to the Lord. When the messenger returned to the king, he said, why did you come back? Well, uh, there was this guy. And, and, and he said, hi. And, and he said, go back to the king. And this is what you're supposed to say. Because is there no God in Israel that you're sending men to consult Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore, you will not leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. Well, the king said, well, who told you that? What kind of man was it who came to meet you and told you this? I said, well, he was kind of a hairy guy. He was a man with a garment of hair. And, and a leather belt around his waist. And the king goes, Newman. <laughs> That's funny. I don't care who you are right there. <laughs> unless, unless you never watch Seinfeld. You have no idea what I'm talking about. But 
The king knew who it was right away. Elijah. Sticking rotten Elijah. Can't stand that guy. Hairy guy. Hairy guy with the belt. Hair hair everywhere. It's got to be Elijah. Ticks me off. Then he sent Elijah. Sent to Elijah a captain with a company of 50 men. The captain went up to Elijah. Who was sitting on the top of a hill. And with his 50 men he says. Man of God. The king says. Come down. And Elijah said. Well. If I am a man of God, then may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. (laughs) Then fire fell from heaven and consumed the captain and his men. (laughs) At this, the king goes, Newman, send another bunch. (laughs) And he sends another captain of 50 men and the captain says to him, man of God. This is what the king says. Come down at once. And Elijah says, well, if I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And fire fell from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. So the king sent a third captain with his 50 men. And the third captain went and said, please, please, please. Please have respect for my life and the lives of these 50 men, your servants. Look, I know I heard about the fire from the other cats. And they're all toasted. And there's like toasted captains everywhere here. This is gross. Please don't kill me. Verse 15, the angel of the Lord said, all right, cut him some slack. Go down with him. Don't be afraid. So Elijah got up and went down with him to the king. And then he tells the king in person. This is what the Lord says. Is it because there's no God in Israel for you to consult? That you have to send messengers to consult Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Because you have done this, you will never leave the bed you're lying on. You will certainly die. So he died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Because Ahaziah had no son, Joram succeeded him as king in the second year of of Joram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. As for all the other events of this guy's reign, what he did, look it up in the other books. All right, so that's first king. Now, uh, second kings, first chapter. Now we're going to go into chapter two. And this is cool stuff. This this is going to be very cool. Next week, very cool. Set your DVR. No, you got to be here. You got to be here and you got to hear this because this is some very, very cool stuff that we're going to read about what happens to Elijah as he's taken into heaven and what that means. We're going to take a look into uh, the book of Revelations. We're going to look at some of the end time stuff that's going to happen. Keys off of this. And we're going to, we're going to see some things that maybe look a little different than maybe uh, you would have thought they would look. Pretty interesting stuff. So we'll see you all again next week. Now the rest of you, you can't escape. You're still here. Now we'll open up for uh, questions and answers. Uh, you know what we're going to do, Tim? I don't know if it's too late. We we're going to try and have microphones that people could... We could run mics to them. Are there, is there anything like that out there? Not back there? There's, there's one right there, Phil's. Right, that's my fault, Pastor Lathan. I should have mentioned that. If we could... You know, had a couple of ushers to run around with the mic. So you can be the runner, Pastor. We'll see. 
All right, questions and answers. Let's let's talk about some of them. What, 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 any questions about what we just read that you thought, hmm, very interesting. Right here, we'll start right there. I, I don't have a question about tonight, but I wanted to go back a couple of weeks. Um, admittedly, I'm a little confused about the book of Revelation as far as timelines and... The book of Revelation? Yes. Yeah, well, we're not there yet. So. I understand that. but I <laughs> Not as though I will understand it when we get there, but yes, we're not. <laughs> it's a little confusing. My question is, um, Jesus appeared to John. He spoke to him about... Uh, the seven churches and when he's speaking to John about the church of Theatira he mentions Jezebel Jezebel Okay, I have a few things against thee that you're following after the ways of this woman Jezebel calls herself a prophet now is this this, the same Jezebel no 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 Um, the book of Revelation is so full of imagery that it boggles the mind. Well, yeah. I mean, really. I mean, they got weird-looking, strange things and stuff like that. Um, clearly, the reference, and there's all kinds of Bible scholars who have a gazillion different interpretations, but there was something going on. that They were listening to a teaching of either a false prophetess, someone in the church who was claiming to be righteous but was actually encouraging unrighteousness. Who knows what it was? But God right away refers to this person or maybe a nation i mean who knows or whatever it is as jezebel there's this spirit of jezebel this is this woman who uh, is into violence who's into immorality who's into uh, anything that's against god uh and what he's warning the church is don't be caught up in these kinds of people and because you've been caught up listening to this jezebel whatever it is you know, things are not going to go, I'm not happy with you. And he basically is chewing them out. But Jezebel becomes the symbol of, of just an incredible amount of wickedness. As we point out, she was seriously bad news. You got any insight on that? fact that it was a spirit of deception that she became very very evil and, and it was more the spirit of it than the actual person. Do you think it was actually a person or was it a... a... Just that, that it, yeah, I think it, it could have been a person that they were describing but also a it was the attitude it was the, that we were being warned against connecting with someone who has this Jezebel spirit about them. Yeah, yeah. You have to remember that early Christianity uh, encountered quite a few different uh, lines of teaching that came along. Where they believed all kinds of weird things. Where they thought, well, Jesus wasn't really the son of God. Or he was the son of God, but he, he didn't really die on the cross physically. He was, it was a spiritual thing. And, and things get getting weirder and weirder. And the Gnosticisms and all the weird different takes were coming into the church trying to confuse Christians. It's one of the reasons they developed the Apostles' Creed. The thing that we still say to this day. What is it? These are the fundamental faith, uh, tenets of the Christian faith. We believe in God, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ. Talked about the fact that he actually lived. That's why it mentions, you know, uh, suffering under Pontius Pilate and stuff like that to say that these were actually historical events. He died. He was crucified. He died. He was buried. He went to the dead. He rose again. We believe in the Holy Spirit. All these things they developed as just a simple statement of faith. This is who we are. This is what we believe. These are the fundamental tenets because all kinds of weird things were coming along. And it wouldn't surprise me if that was a literal prophet who was trying to confuse them or just uh, a spirit of teaching. Anyway, just a warning as to what that was. Great tie-in, by the way. Fine. 
Finding revelations, bringing back to Jehoshaphat, what we were just studying. Yes? I was going to ask you about what you were talking about earlier, about people who go along, la, 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 all of a sudden they hit this crisis mm-hmm. and they don't know what to do. What about people who weren't raised in the church, who were never exposed to it? Mm-hmm. And how do they even begin? Well, that's why, that's why I'm saying trust God even in the smallest things. For example, and, and I'm serious, you know, even one, one, one of the first things that I ever experienced in my life was I, I was 16 years old. I had just become a Christian and I had this terrible cold and I was sneezing like every five seconds, <laughs> you know, the whole routine, you know, and I remember being on my knees praying and I was praying about something else. And I finally says, hey, God, would you, would you please stop the sneezes? And I, and I kind of raised my hand like this. And I thought I felt someone touch my hand. And you had to remember, I hadn't even been to an Assembly of God church yet. I mean, I know this kind of stuff could happen. You know what I'm saying? And I just went, what was that? And then about two minutes later, I went, I wasn't sneezing anymore. Now, some said, well, that was just coincidental. You're just done sneezing. I mean, who, I'm telling you, it was an initial step of faith for me. Because now I knew, wow, God will actually answer even my smallest prayer. See, uh, I remember, uh, you know, I, I think I shared the story before where we had a bunch of musical equipment that was put in the church. And we were enjoying this great musical equipment. And we came in one day and someone had broken into the church and stolen everything. And this was like a big deal to us. We were 16 years of age. We just went and bought all this equipment and, and uh, someone broke, you know. And you could just freak out and cry. And well, this really must not be a God. Because we're trying to serve God. And we're supposed to be believing in the Jesus. Why would it? But we said we didn't do that. Because the God who healed my little sneezing. We thought, you know, let's, let's pray and ask God for a miracle. That we get this stuff back. And I kid you not. That night, the church was broken into again. And they put it back. <laughs> now, I don't know who these people were. I don't know what motivated them. This was a lot of work. To break in and take all this equipment. And that night, something motivates them to break back into the building and put it all back. I don't know. I don't care. All I know was, holy cow. This is cool. You see what I'm saying? So my encouragement to you is, even though you're coming to faith at whatever age, and you've never been raised in the church and stuff, don't just walk around and just take life on my own. I can Because see, that the challenge is, because at later in life, you've pretty much learned to do life on your own. Correct? You've pretty much had, 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 had handle your own finances, how to deal with your own situations, how to deal with stupid relationships that you want to strangle people. You, we pretty much have got a pet. We're used to doing it by ourselves. Okay? My encouragement to you is start trusting God. Inviting God into areas of, the, of your life that up till now, you've pretty much just handled on your own. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yes, it's hard. She says, the letting go part is, is hard. You got that right. Again, because all your life, you know, if all of a sudden, boom, you're, you're 30, 40, 50, 60, whatever, you old, and all of a sudden you come to faith, you have you've, your whole life dependent on you and what you do and what you don't. And all I'm saying is, you don't want to keep just depending on you because at some point you run into a giant where you finally realize, I can't handle this. And now, now you're going to start trusting God for the first time? It's not impossible, but wow, hard. And it's not what you see here. You see, even the story of Samson. You remember Samson? First thing, he, he took on some little things first. 
And a little bit bigger things, a little bit bigger things. Finally, he got confident to the point that he knew he could step out and rip anything to pieces. But it starts small. So my encouragement is, no matter what area of life you're in, no matter how old you are, it's easier for those younger. But just let me encourage you, invite God into your life, even in small ways that you think are stupid and insignificant and God can't possibly care. No, he cares. You want to start experiencing God, it will build your faith. Great question, by the way. Yes? Uh, What is the importance of fasting? Ah, the importance of fasting. It's certainly a miserable experience, I must admit. (laughs) Uh, You know, the, the thing with fasting is a couple of things. First of all, we are body, soul, and spirit. Just like the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one. We are also three parts, but one. We, we have a mind, a soul, we have a spirit, we have a body, okay? One of the things that's easy to do is to let our bodies dictate everything in our lives. Your body will dictate to you how you want to react, how you feel about things. Someone ticks you off, your body wants to punch them in the face. You know what I'm saying? Some ho-chi-mama chick goes walking by, your body wants to go, give me some of that. You know what I'm saying? Your body's got all kinds of things, you know? Your body, in a lot of respects, from a Christian worldview, is not your friend. When you fast and you just stop eating, let's say for a day, I don't eat anything for the day. And I'll, I'll eat again tomorrow. Your body gets really mad. Okay? But it's a way of you being stronger in your spirit and telling your body to shut up. You don't control me. Okay? This does not control me. My spirit controls me. My heart, my soul. And it's just a good exercise of discipline. And it's great when you're, and God notices when you're taking things seriously. And when you literally in the middle of your prayer and it's, you know, four o'clock and you are hungry and a bear, you can smell a potato chip five miles away. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about, right? You're fasting, really. It's a drag, I got to tell you. But now you're praying and and, and God said, Lord, instead of eating, I, I just want to turn my attention to you. God, hear my prayer. It just, it just is like something about it just makes it more powerful. But when you consider that what will get you in trouble to keep you from God is almost always going to be this. You know, be it wanting to look at porn or lusting or anger or jealousy. Or Your body, that's the part of you that has been poisoned by sin, by the way. It's the part of you that does not get into heaven. You realize you're all going to die. You know, great tie-in, by the way. Tonight is Ash Wednesday. From from you were you from ashes you came and to ash you and from dust you came and from dust you shall return. At some point we all dust out on the steel, okay? Because this part, this poisoned part of us, will never get into heaven. We will receive a new body, thank God, and we won't have this battle anymore, and we won't have this struggle anymore. And how how cool it will be to be able to worship God and you don't have a body that's been poisoned by sin and lust and hatred and jealousy and fear and paranoia because that will be done away with. But the good thing about fasting is a good exercise to do on a regular basis that just says to your body, shut up, I'm in charge. How often? Oh, good Lord, I have no idea. How do you answer that, Pastor? I don't know. You should. I'll, I'll tell you what the early church did. You know what the early church did early christians uh at least two days a week you know if i do two days a year i'm rocking you know what i'm saying uh i'm just admitting my sin i mean i i should do it more often it's just a good discipline to do it really is i will say this 
If it's something's really hitting a fan in your life, good time to fast. You're really having a hard time. You're going through real struggles. You're full of fear. You're facing a Goliath. As what is the first thing they did? They fasted. So whether or not how regularly you do this, I don't know. Again, if you're struggling in areas of your life, you feel like your body's kind of controlling you, fast, man. It's a good way to tell your body to shut up and start developing some spiritual strength. Uh, but if that's not a struggle, at least when you're really hitting a hard time in your life. And, and trust God and see what happens. Yeah, I, th- I, would, I would just add to that. I think it's, it's, it's good to develop a consistent exercise or discipline of fasting. You know, for some people, maybe one meal a week, it maybe one day a week, because it's kind of like exercising. It's in preparation for when these things do come our way. We strengthen ourselves spiritually. We've, we've, uh, so you know, it, it's 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 good when something's coming your way that you concerted effort of, of fasting. But it's not a manipulation of God to make God do something just because we're fasting. Uh, but so it, I, I, it's to me, it's a good thing to do regularly as well. Just put a part of your spiritual discipline. You know, it's good to pray when you're having problems and, and suddenly something comes against you. Man, I'm going to pray more than I've ever prayed before. But God always says pray continually. Pray without ceasing. So we build up our strength by, by praying. Same with fasting. All the spiritual disciplines, it's good to set them in our life as a pattern. It's like exercising. I've, you know, I exercise every single day. <clears throat> Not really. But if, if I did exercise every single day, I'd be strengthened. But uh, So it's a spiritual exercise. In preparation for when things come our way. I will say this, uh, you know, I've mentioned to Pastor Lathan, I've also mentioned to Deb, you know, that uh, as the teaching pastor, as one who brings, it's something I need to start teaching more about, about two things, prayer and fasting. We need to start talking more about it. In all fairness to the congregation, you know, baby steps, baby steps. We need, that's why I'm talking so much this year about just what it means to be part of a church. You know, let's get our basic commitments together. I mean, when our church, when you got people leaving the church because there's a budget cut, it's like, oh, good Lord, somebody stick my head in the toilet and flush. You know, I mean, what does that say? It means we're not really as strong as we think we are. So I'm, I'm trying to do some basics. But we need to, you know, as we get into this, start talking about we need to become more a congregation of prayer, okay? Also to fast at, at times together. So some, uh, certainly areas that we need to grow in. I think when we start getting a good discipline of, of these things, and, uh, and we're going to get there. And, and hopefully by when we get into this fall, we start making more of an emphasis on prayer and stuff as a congregation. Uh, Deb and I were just at uh, Liberty University where Jerry Falwell built this incredible ministry. You should see this place. It's really quite amazing. But a great quote uh, that he had in the house that we stayed where his office was. Uh, on, the, on the little mansion on the top of the hill there at the university. He says, nothing of eternal significance is ever accomplished apart from prayer. But when you really start to get that, that there's no way we really become the kind of church what God wants us to come if we don't really learn to pray together. You know, but we need to teach on it. You know, we had a couple of prayer days about a year ago or something, I think two people signed up. You know, we need a little better than that, Okay. But we're going to grow. It's going to be good. It's all going to be good. We're getting there. And uh, it's going to be a priority. Because when we really start learning to pray together, and again, it doesn't have to be, you know, 12 days of unending 24-hour-a-day prayer. I'd be happy if we can just get together, everybody, for a morning and pray for an hour or two. 
You know, baby steps. Let's start growing and really start to understand. Because I believe once we start really praying and start to see God do stuff, it's going to encourage our faith because you're going to start seeing God do some pretty neat things. Deb and I have been talking about, we saw in this church, you know, how they have uh, in Jerusalem, they have the wailing wall. And uh, people take their prayer requests and stuff like that. We want to build a little prayer wall. You know, kind of looks like a, a mock-up of the, and people can literally pin their prayer requests to the wall and know that people in the church will take the time to take those requests down and to pray for them and stuff. And so we're going to get there. Just be patient. All right, we're kind of, I'll take one more question. We all came through last week about prayer for uh, Adam's mom, and uh, um, the Lord answered and delivered, and uh, she's doing well. Yeah, hallelujah. That's what I'm talking about. Remember, he prayed, he wanted some special prayer last week, and we prayed, and God answered the prayer. See, that's that first step. That's killing the lion, and then the bear, and pretty soon you get to where you start facing some serious stuff in your life. You're going to have more confidence. Why? Because you've seen God do something this last week and next week and the week after. And it builds your faith. Good man. All right, let's have our ushers come down and we will get ready to take our Wednesday night offering. Hallelujah. Let us pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word, the teaching of your word, what we're learning through your word and from your word. Help us to continue to grow in our faith, we pray. Bless these offerings as we give into your kingdom. Bless our church, Lord, that one of the things that would just mark us is a group of people who are just extremely generous and trust you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.